Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We are more than two months into our uh, company lockdown, our TPM lockdown. Uh, everybody's still working remote uh, at our operation, as, as probably many of you are if you are in a profession or line of work where you can work from home. We're still doing that, but the reopening is happening. And as we've talked about on the show before, we have this very binary way of talking about this topic. Are you are you locked down? Or are you reopened? And some of that comes from President Trump when he had that very binary thing, you know, back in in early April when he when he was talking about we're gonna we're gonna just you know blow out in 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 mid April and we're gonna we're gonna be hitting hitting the pews for Easter and stuff like that. Right. And I think as we've learned. Or maybe as we should have known, it's it's not a binary thing. It's loosening strictures, and that's happening around the country. It's happening some places a lot more rapidly than you know epidemiologists and public health officials want. But even in those areas, we have not yet seen the sort of spikes that some people were predicting. The sort of the test case for that is in Georgia, where they they move first. Uh, they have had. What was maybe, you know, aggressive reopening relative to what, again, sort of public health officials wanted, still people working from home and wearing masks and curbside, all these, you know, a lot, a lot of stuff like that. Their numbers are not going down dramatically, but they're also not spiking. So that's, that is a thing. And even in New York City, as we were just talking about before we started this episode, things are shifting. Um, and I think it's, it's important again, as we've talked about in earlier episodes to get out of the, the binary straitjacket that I think to a significant extent, uh, president Trump helped create by, you know, kind of like when we're still kind of moving towards the apex, He's like, all right, we're done. I've had enough of this. It's the, the you know, the the disease, the cure can't be worse than the, the, even, the disease. Um, even last week at the White House, he had a vaccine event, this uh, Operation Warp Speed, I think it's called, you know, all this funding and kind of uh, combined effort to rush a vaccine. And during that appearance, he said, vaccine or no vaccine, we're back. Right. Uh, right. The country is back. And so it's kind of like at this event, he's trying to promote a vaccine to truly kind of get back to a right. a sense of normalcy. Yeah. He's like, but even still, it's fine. We're good even without it. So, yeah. And, and I, I think so it's 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 it is understandably hard to get beyond the very apparent fact that President Trump wants us all to go back to doing everything as normal so the economy can start roaring again and he can be reelected. And if some of us die, you know. You didn't enlist in the war to be a warrior if you weren't maybe going to die. Um, but we need right. to kind of step back from that, and and obviously, and and what can we do, and where are we in this in this uh, 
in this process. So before we get down to discussing all of that, let me remind you that the Josh Marshall Podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee, just the best cold brew ice coffee anywhere in the solar system. And we at TPM uh, drink the stuff like crazy back when we used to work in a physical office that, you know, we had what we basically had one whole refrigerator literally right. dedicated to Grady's and some sort of ancillary Grady's enabling products like milk right. and cream and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Anyway, it is really great stuff. Uh, it's not just a matter of them being the sponsor of the show. It is a great product. It's an independent business. It's a small business. Great to support like other small businesses, as we've discussed in, in, in earlier episodes. So you can even get a 20% off if you're, it's your first order of Grady's. You can order it at Grady'sColdBrew.com. And if it's your first order, you can get 20% off by using the promotion code uh, TPM. And you can also order it at Amazon.com. It is available in grocery stores in a lot in, you know, many parts of the United States. So uh, depending on what the you know what the what the setup is and in your uh, neck of the woods whether it's still you know uh, close to full lockdown or not you can you can get Grady's in lots of places so definitely check it out sponsors of our show and a great product absolutely well Joshua it's interesting we're talking about the you know the sort of gray area and the reopening and even in New York City where you know, we're still basically in full lockdown. It's been interesting to see a couple sort of local businesses, at least in the area of Brooklyn that I live in, kind of coming back online for takeout or delivery and things like that. I'm thinking about a coffee shop that's not too far away that has had been closed for a couple months. It just kind of reopened a couple of restaurants, things like that. And it and, reminded and, me of and a what post. Is reo- what, is, what has reopening meant for them? What does that mean? What are they doing? So basically... Before it was full closed, you know, almost boarded up or kind of, you know, the metal gate pulled down over the front door and reopening means sort of more limited hours. It means just to go orders, sometimes delivery, things like that. You sort of come in quickly, maybe for a cup of coffee and then you, you know, in your mask and then you head out and go home. But it reminded me of a post that um, you wrote, I think last week, late last week or over the weekend about kind of our new hazmat normal. Right. And um, this one cafe that I went to that is a place I've been going to for a couple of years um, on the weekends, but I went in there and it's kind of a small Brooklyn coffee shop, you know, in New York city, all these places of business are basically just kind of tiny little holes in the wall for the most part. And um, I walked in and there was a huge plastic sheet kind of over the whole counter. So it's kind of this like cryogenically sealed bubble coffee shop situation. Uh, and then you order inside this kind of little tiny cutout sort of thing, almost like a bank teller situation or something like that. And it just struck me. It's like, yeah, they're, they're reopened and you can patronize them as a business like before, but it's a totally just different scenario. And it kind of is a dark, it's sort of a dark and dystopian feeling, you know? So it just kind of struck me that even even in the kind of most lockdown places where things are easing up a little bit or some places are coming back online, it really isn't life as we knew it before. It's sort you of know, like I had a I had a, 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 a social interaction earlier today where uh, it was four people, my wife and I and two other people. And, you know, it was actually outdoors. We were all wearing masks and we were talking and it was very normal and pleasant. It was a very positive experience. And it, and and you know, wearing the masks had felt very normal to me. And, you know, that's great. 
But I kept having these moments when I'm looking at these people and it's like, wow, I'm in like the movie Contagion or something. This is <laughs> right. this is weird. And 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 not just weird, it's kind of scary. It's it's not a it's it's a it's a disturbing visual. It's it precisely because we're not, you know, we're not in a doctor's office. We're not we don't think we're around a sick person, right? And so it was this kind of uncanny moment for me where it it felt very pleasant and very normal. And but I kept sort of oscillating back and forth to to remembering like this is not normal or it's not what I remember as normal and it's not really what I want to think of as normal. It's right. it's it's weird. It's, yeah, and we it's a little today bad. we saw yeah, exactly. Today we saw photos of South Korea. High school seniors are getting back into the classroom. And I don't know if you saw these images, but basically on each desk, there's like a plexiglass wall around each right, of the desks. Right. Everyone's in masks. Uh, I think in your post, you had shown poker tables, maybe with metal kind of, or I'm sorry, with plastic kind of barriers between each of the players. So it's kind of a weird, it's a weird new normal. It doesn't it doesn't feel like it used to. Obviously, it doesn't look like it used to. And so that's something we'll have to get used to over the next I mean, year or two, kind of. Yeah. Even like small things like I every time leaving, I leave the house, I keep forgetting my mask constantly. But because you have to like add it to your, you know, keys, phone, wallet, sunglasses, mask. Yeah. <laughs> I keep getting to the door of the apartment building and my boyfriend's like, do you have a mask? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I have to run back up. It's like acting like it's 2019 out here, you know? <laughs> right. So Josh, what do you attribute to the, you know, the numbers in Georgia, like we were saying, haven't really been going down significantly, but we haven't seen a huge spike in Georgia where they sort of had the most liberal reopening, including hair, hair salons and kind of all these close contact businesses right from the jump. How do you, what do you think might be behind the, the numbers not significantly spiking there? Well, and and in Georgia, they they are going down. It, it's it's a little hard to say precisely what the situation is because you have testing going up, and test in and itself against a static, you know, community spread. More tests should create more, you know, should reveal more infections, and the number of infections is sort of slowly trending down. So it could be it's even going down. In fact faster than it appears from those numbers because Tess is going up. But as you said, the key thing is that it is, you know, it's, it is definitely true that a few weeks ago, a lot of people were saying, man, you're all going to, we're going to be, you know, we're going to be coming down there and carrying you off in body bags, you know, in a few weeks because of what's going to happen. And that so far has not happened yet. And it's hard to say. It's, you know, one thing about, we say again and again, there's a lot we don't know about this disease, and that is definitely the case. And when we th when we look at like you know why did what happened in New York happen in New York? Now clearly density in the subways are just a huge part of that. The fact that we had no surveillance testing, we didn't know the the outbreak had started until like a good four weeks into it, which is just horrifying to think about in retrospect. But it does seem that we will learn that there are factors that we don't yet understand. And they could be very mundane and unexpected things. Like, you know, maybe it's, I mean, I'm pulling this out of my hat, but maybe it's the swiping of your subway card. 
right? I mean, who it could, you know, like little things like that can end up having big effects. So there's a lot we don't know about exactly why this stuff happens. Um, we also know that New York kind of gave everybody else in the country a a, a jump on it, you know, to kind of lock everything down. Um, I, I One thing that is possible is that the sort of the garden variety, uh, you know, sort of prophylactic mitigation things may be more effective than, than we anticipated. I mean, presumably people are still washing their hands a lot. They're knowing not to kind of, you know, grab a door handle and immediately like kind of, you know, they've got the sniffles and, you know, kind of rub their nose or something like that. Um, there's some emerging information that masks may be even more effective than we've imagined. So masks could be having a, a big role. And I think it's just even even what counts as opening up still largely means that you're not eating in full restaurants. I mean, if and when restaurants are open, I, I think there's very few places in the country where they're open to full capacity. Um, if they are open to full capacity, everybody's kind of going to be on their guard. Um, I believe under Georgia's reopening system, the advice is still that everybody who can work from home should still be working from home. So maybe that means that twenty, at least twenty to thirty percent of the population is working from home, and those things all have a big effect. And 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 you know, all together they may have you know maybe having a bigger effect than than we thought, which is obviously uh, fantastic. Um, and yeah, you know, there, tell us uh, about the study in masks uh, about masks. You would mentioned in the editor's blog this morning that it might reduce in like transmission rates by as much as 75%. And this is a study that was done using hamsters, right? And we're not talking about like baby hamster masks. Exactly, yeah, no, right? it's funny. More it's like, like the headline makes it, you know, because you, you've got these like social media accounts that are like, you know, just 100% cute animals. And, you know, right. so you see like, oh, this hamster's got his own mask. Uh, 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 so cute. Um, so it sounds like that on the surface. It, it's not that. Basically what it is is, is – um, they took cages of sick hamsters and, you know, sick with coronavirus, this coronavirus, and uh, well hamsters. And they, they basically put the masks on the cages and then right. put the cages near each other. So it's not it, – it's it certainly does not perfectly, um, you know, duplicate the specifics of a human wearing a mask. I guess the thing is with hamsters is that there's something about – their genetics that makes the sort of the reception of the virus very similar. In any case, what it showed was that when there were masks on, and this is basically surgical masks, so not N95s, not also not like, you know, kind of your old t-shirt maybe, um, but not something too different from your old t-shirt. When they put masks on, when, when there was no masking at all, with the two cages next to each other, after a week, 67% of the healthy hamsters had COVID. When they put masks on both, that fell to 16%, 1-6%. When the masks were only on the uh, healthy hamsters, so sort of, you know, this basically is a measure of how much protection you get from wearing a mask, it was 33%. So clearly the big issue is the sick people need to be wearing the mask. But even but even the healthy people 
wearing the mask was a was a pretty big deal. Now, there, as I just said, mask on a cage is not exactly the same thing. Um, but the, the the basic question with COVID is, you know, how much? Like there was one there was one study that came out a few weeks ago where. Um, you know, they took masks, uh, people with uh, people with COVID and people not with COVID, and the the researchers basically swabbed the outside of the mask, and the outside of the mask had a lot of COVID on it, which obviously kind of breaks down the idea of that it's that it's a great uh, barrier. But some of these things are um, oh, and, and and on the hamster thing, in the case where um, even though sixteen percent who did get COVID, they had lower viral loads of the virus than, than, than the other. And to the extent that a lot of this is, A, you know, kind of you cough in someone's face, but even like you're in an enclosed space, you cough, maybe it's kind of hanging in the air for a few minutes afterwards. At a basic level, it just stands to reason that fewer droplets are going to come out if you had a mask on your face. I mean, how can it not be, right? And and what we, I guess there's two things. One is there seems to be a fair amount of information with COVID that the, the viral load that you get, how much you get matters. It's not one of these things where one, you know, one piece of virus gets to you and, and it's, it's purely binary. That does not seem to be the case. So the amount makes a difference. And the other thing is that there's a difference between individual risk and societal risk. So let's take just a hypothetical. Let's say I, there's a coffee shop that we go into. And if I don't have a mask, I'm 80%, I will, I will get COVID because everybody in there has got COVID, right? All the, all the employees have COVID. Okay, 80%. Now, if I wear a mask, that falls to 30%. Now, I'm still not going to go to that coffee shop, right? Because 30% is still really bad for me. But on a but even in that kind of, you know, worst case scenario, on a on a societal level, going from 80% to 30% is massive. And it's not just that you go from, you know, eight people to three people who get it on a given day. You have three people who then can give it to three people as opposed to eight people to you know, it it ramifies through the whole society. And it's funny, there was, before the U.S. and the CDC and the White House and whatever kind of made the switch to masks, I was, I was uh, working on this post that was about masks and also about the United States and to an extent the West's cultural complacency and arrogance about masks and there's an there's a woman who's an academic who I, I can't remember her I can't remember her exact name and I couldn't pronounce it if I remembered it uh, she works in the United States but she's uh, Turkish in any case she got very big on masks and and when the epidemic first started people in the US there was this idea like well, the folks in Asia, they got kind of weirded out about SARS. They're very into masks. And it sends a good sort of social signal. I'm serious about COVID, blah, 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 blah. And it, you know, it doesn't harm anybody, but we know that masks, are, that, that doesn't really make any difference and whatever, you know. 
And I remember in the early days in New York, the uh, public health commissioner, no need for masks. And some of the reporters were making this, uh, you know, kind of obvious point, like, seems to work pretty well for the hospital guys. Like, they wear them in hospitals. Now, different kind of mask, not the same kind of mask. And it's also true, we knew at the time there weren't enough so that doesn't mean everybody should go out and wear the same ones. But like, is it really does not work at all? Like, if it doesn't work at all, why do the doctors wear them? Um, and the public health commissioner in New York City had this response like, well, it'll get a – people don't know how to use them, and it'll have a false sense of security. And I remember in one of the press conferences, she made this comment saying, well, I saw someone wearing a mask, but they had the mask down and they were smoking. And kind of like, okay, yeah, people are dumb. I get it. But like, that's not really resp- that. That's not really responsive to the question, right? right? Yeah, someone's stupid. Great. But like, is it really not a good idea for us to wear masks? And um, clearly, we have decided as a society that we were wrong. And 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 some people say, well, asymptomatic, but well, not really. I mean, it's always been the. Uh, the point of wearing masks in Asia has always been that you don't necessarily know you're sick or you don't know you're sick with the, with the disease in question. So I think to go back to your, I know this is a lengthy response, but to go back to your point, it's possible that with, you know, kind of pretty hardcore public health strategies short of everybody staying in their house, you can kind of keep it in check and, and, Let's hope that that's the case. It's going to be more the case in cities where people can commute to work by car and stuff like that, unlike in New York City. And even masks may be a bigger deal than we than we think. And that and that obviously opens up a whole other question that if they are a big deal, and now that we have some time to make them, maybe we need to make like 100 billion N95 masks because yeah. if masks help i'm sure the N95 mask is going to help more than the again the the the, the sock that you repurposed as a mask totally. you know there's all those like youtube <laughs> videos of how you take a sock and make a mask out of it and stuff yeah. so anyway long yeah, answer I'm, but that's my answer i'm curious if you know i'm curious if we will see culturally just masks becoming more kind of adopted across the board and maybe if you're sick you know, maybe a few years from now, if you're sick with the cold, maybe you wear a mask out and about, you know, what what do you guys think? Do you think, because you're right in Asia and Asian countries and tourists and things like that, it's not uncommon to see people with masks in a crowded kind of tourist destination or anything like that. I'm just curious if you think we'll see a similar adoption. Kate, I don't know. What do you think? I think no, because it is so like emotionally weird to wear a mask and to have other people wear a mask and not just because the you know, lingering threat of sickness, but our whole brain is set up to pick up on other people's emotions from their face. And it's, you know, this is a throwback to my AP psych days in high school, but, you know, a reason why we find like serial killer masks, like whoever the one is that wears the hockey mask and stuff so scary is because you can't read their expression and it makes them unpredictable and, uh, you know, a, a, threat that you can't really ascertain what's going on. And 
you know, now it's a, a full face mask and a, a bit dramatic for what we're talking about. But I've even found when I'm wearing a mask, you know, we went to like Trader Joe's this weekend and the cashier who was also wearing a mask was trying to, you know, make a, a joke, a small talk grocery joke. And we were like, what? <laughs> like back and forth, like 18 times, yeah. you know, and it's just like to some degree, it does really cut down on you wanting to communicate or emote with other people because a you can't see what's going on and b it's you know a logistical obstacle to being understood i'm not saying that that should outweigh the you know health benefits of wearing them but i do think it's a fairly strong kind of social variable that would work against people wanting to wear them yeah i was in in the in the social setting i mentioned earlier today with my wife and a few and a couple other people there were a few times that i i I was just looking at my wife and she's like, you know what? <laughs> like, like <laughs> I, that she somehow uh, thought that I was sort of, you know, making an expression that was signaling something like, oh, you know, what about this? What about that? And I was just sitting there with a mask. Right. <laughs> so so it does show that 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 uh, as you say, Kate, there's a huge amount of communication that is either nonverbal and just through you know, facial expressions or a little verbal, like subverbal and, and, you know, you need the facial expressions for context and stuff like that. I do think it's funny. I, I, I heard something recently. Someone said that the, the masking tradition, uh, cultural practice in Asia stems from SARS. And I'm not sure that's totally the case. I remember early in the epidemic, I read something and I can't remember specifically, but that it went back something like a half a century and it had some specific roots. And I remember that a, a former girlfriend of mine uh, many years ago uh, who, who I, we dated for a long time and, and before we dated, she had been done a year abroad in Japan. You know, or, you know, kind of that thing where the year after you graduate high school, but before you go to college. So she was there and this would have been in the very early 90s. And one of the things that she always described to me about the year she lived in Japan, and and obviously it's not, you know, Japan isn't China, it's not Korea, it's not the Philippines, but that in Japan, there were just all, it's, Japan has a very strong communitarian ethos that is just sort of systemic through the society. And at least it's at least my recollection that she talked about masks being a big thing, not ubiquitous through society, but that when you're sick, you wear a mask in the same sense that it would be it would be it would be shocking to us if someone was sick and you're just like coughing in someone's face or like not cut, you know, not that, that that would be like, like, what you know, what the hell's your problem? It's it's it, it, it's gross. It's, you know, it's sort of it's it's not thinking of other people. So I, I don't know. It, it is kind of funny if you are feeling if you do feel like you have a cold uh, and you're kind of in the I just think of our what used to be our common workplace. And, you know, you go up through the elevator. I mean, wear a mask. You're 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 sick, right? I mean, think of other people. Now, I now to Kate's point, I don't know if that will really happen. It it we are a the U.S. is a very um, you know non communitarian, individualistic kind of thing, and every you know. So I don't I don't know, but it's it's. Uh, I think I would certainly think about it differently now. I mean, it's hard for me to imagine. 
you know, hopefully this will be done in not much more than a year more. Uh, but it's hard for me to imagine really for the rest of my life that I will think about contagious diseases in quite the same way. Hopefully we're not going to have another one that is as serious as this, but just colds and flus and stuff like that. And kind of like just thinking about how you cough, how you touch things, stuff like that. And just being, I don't know, just being kind of aware, but to Kate's point, I, you know, uh, who knows, but I, I, yeah, I think especially run deep. Yeah. Especially in cities where you commute more by car, I could totally see that being less fully adopted too, right? Because you have a bit more private space and you're not coming in contact with as many people, but we'll have to see. Well, maybe we can shift a little bit to politics and Trump's recent uh, proclamations, I guess, for lack of a better word. But, um, you know, just this morning, he's attacking Michigan for sending applications for mail-in ballots. An hour or so later, he went after Nevada for the same thing. He is... Uh, you know, dredging up this Obamagate stuff, which we've covered to some extent on the site. And um, really, it just seems like in the face of kind of no national response to the virus and a cratering economy, he's just kind of grasping at straws to find some some way to take the blame out on someone else. Uh, and we're about six months from Election Day. How do you see these playing out? I mean, do you, do you expect these attacks will get worse and more kind of insane and intense or... You know, just tell me how you think it might play out. Well, I think to some degree, clearly everything he's doing is a reaction to his reelection fears, right? I mean, they're directly tied to the mail-in voting thing, um, which he's, you know, in one of his classics saying the quiet bits out loud has said before that, you know, he doesn't like mail-in voting or absentee voting or any kind of voting that hurts Republicans. Um, but... I think it's interesting. The Obamagate thing has been very notable to me because we and we've kind of talked about this before, that even though reelection seems to be the only thing Trump really cares about, he keeps doing things that seem to me, you know, just as a non-political operative running kind of counter to those political interests. And the Obamagate thing is something I cannot get my mind around because I would think if you could give a packaged present to the Biden campaign, it would be to connect him tighter and tighter and tighter to Obama to every time, you know, to have their names in the same breath. Well, I think they even started calling it the The Obama Obama Biden Biden administration. Like to your point, Kate, they're almost like saying like, oh, Biden, that's as good as getting Obama back. You don't want that, right? Which, like, you know, and the the only argument I can think is like, okay, Trump's base hates Obama, fine, but uh, like, Obama is an incredibly popular president with Democrats, and if this is, and I think just across the board, he's pretty much the most admired person in the world, kind of right. He's pretty popular. He's certainly much, you know, you know, almost universally popular with Democrats, not with Republicans. But it's also true that he is, even when he was president and not terribly popular, he seldom had people outside of the core Republican base who like right. actively disliked him. Maybe they thought and, he wasn't a good enough president, but not like, oh, right. like hatred of him or something like that. Yeah. And the people who do have that visceral hatred of Obama are going to vote for Trump anyway. So this tactic of 
bringing Obama to the forefront, you know, just seems to me to be making one of Biden's implicit cells, which is pick me. I'm the closest thing to Obama you're going to get. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 uh, it's true. I mean, look, I, there's this weird desperation to right now of, of you know, kind of everything under the sun. Um, I mean, you had this thing where like Don Jr., you know, supposedly as a joke, accused Joe Biden of being a pedophile yep. and sort of like, oh, you know, it, just anything. Right. But I do think and I, I think this is what is clearly modifi- modifying, modifying, <laughs> motivating them um, is that. Maybe, you know, hopefully the epidemic is winding down in its intensity and we can debate like, you know, was did he handle it in a catastrophic way or just in a bad way? Um, But but clearly, as long as the conversation is, well, we had how Trump handled covid and also the 25 percent unemployment and as long as we're kind of like having a conversation on that terrain that's like a disaster for him i mean there's just you know you can sort of they've he clearly has this argument that 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 the covid economy that's just not his fault that's artificial that's not real and like yeah it's not it, <laughs> yeah yes it, it is a kind of a they threw you a curveball but like we're still here, right? So those are just terrible. So he just as as inane as the Obamagate stuff is, uh, as much as it does kind of you know attach Biden to Obama, you just need to be talking about something else. Even if even if it's not, even if it doesn't make a lot of sense, even if it's a great deal of traction, to the extent you're not talking about, wow, this COVID thing went really bad, and like. More than, you know, clearly at this point, more than 100,000 people are going to die and everybody's out of work. You just need to talk about something else. And and you can see that kind of that that it's more than desperation, just just kind of flailing and just all over the place. And even, you know, his big thing is now is like, don't you're, you're letting too many people vote. Like, as you say, sort of saying the quiet part out loud, he just he's he's going to like. It's just bizarre. I mean, he's, he does seem really out of control at the moment, even for him. And he's obviously he, I guess, when was this earlier this week, last week, uh, claiming that he's taking hydroxychloroquine, this anti-malarial drug that uh, the FDA has warned against taking it, except within like a clinical or a hospital kind of setting. And his uh, presentation of that information, like, didn't you say something really weird? Like, I, I've been waiting to see your eyes light up when I say this. Right. <laughs> well, and, and also, it's, I, I feel like we still don't really know if it's even true. I mean, I, yeah. I guess, I mean, there was that weird statement from the White House doctor, which appeared on its face to confirm what the president said, but when you parsed it, actually did not say that he's taking it or that it yeah. had been, you know, prescribed. And, 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 um, I think Kayla McEnany, the White House press secretary, said, yes, I can absolutely confirm that yesterday. But, you know, it's sort of a grain of salt there, too. Yeah, I mean, you know. What no, is... she said she would never lie to us. So oh, right, it's right, fine. right, right, right. Yeah, no, it's even. <laughs> but again, even there, it's it's sort of like, uh, you know, President Trump is happy to lie about anything. But in this case, 
like, if you want to take it, take it. I'm sure the president can find a doctor who will prescribe him hydroxychloroquine, right? If it's the White House doctor or not. So if you're not taking it and you say you take like, wh- like what is the, what's the angle here? I guess it's maybe just to, you know, sort of to own the libs. Or to own the to whip doc- up the media, own yeah. the doctors, well, or you know, and to some know. degree, I think it is what you were saying, Josh. It's his. Uh, he's throwing all the spaghetti at the wall right now to try to distract our attention, and I think consequently, there's been a flurry of thought pieces that are like. Obama's becoming Hillary's emails all Obama gates Hillary's emails all over again you know we're we're repeating the doomed past of 2016 and you know I see those things and I understand the you know frustration but it's also the thing he's trying to distract us from is the central event in everybody's lives right now right. so well, the two central events right like the so epidemic he, and the and economic the economy, collapse right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah so I mean he to some degree, I think no matter what you think of the media not learning 2016 lessons or getting fixated on shiny objects, you know, he's going to have to come up with a lot of stuff to keep people distracted from the fact that they're afraid of being sick and losing their jobs or that those things have already happened. One thing I do fear kind of about just Trump's approach to it and maybe uh, some of his allies is that we've seen the overwhelming number of deaths are in minority communities. And these are clearly not part of Trump's base. It's not the people he necessarily uh, caters to most. And so I just worry that, you know, that will start to get swept under the rug a little bit. And it's sort of like, oh, the Trump's Trump's people aren't losing loved ones. And so this whole thing is overblown. And let's just kind of open things back up. And I worry that, you know, the numbers will are obviously climbing higher and higher. I think we crossed maybe 92,000 within the last day or two. Like you say, Josh, we're well on our way to 100,000 plus. And that you see those every day. I mean, even the New York numbers were still at more than 100 deaths every day. And that's down from 300 or so kind of during the peak. But um, that's dozens of people every day. And it's sort of I just worry that, you know, we kind of get numb to the just the mounting toll of it. And I'm not sure how to exactly to push against that or kind of overcome that. You know, it's 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 funny, because on the one hand, there are, you know, there have been voices from, I mean, for lack of a better word, the sort of the reopen advocacy crew saying very reasonably, there has not been a big outbreak in Georgia. There, you know, Florida continues basically where it was. So the the worst case scenarios have not happened. And that and that and and, you know, people talk about, well, we're still not testing enough or but we're doing a fair amount of tests now. The the positivity rate in those tests has gone down. So those are things that show you that we are capturing at least the broad outlines of the epidemic. But if you draw back, what it's starting to seem like is that it's just becoming endemic in, in the population. And you don't necessarily get a... Um, a spike where you have exponential growth, where it just explodes out of control. But we still have about a thousand people dying every day, you know, give or take. And it's not, um, it's not really clear that that's bottoming out. It, it does seem like it's becoming kind of the norm. Now, it's a big country, 330 million people. Under normal circumstances, a lot of people die every day. 
but we are getting, it, it does seem like it's kind of becoming a normal. And I do wonder too, in a lot of the country, it's not so much that it's, it, it's not declining that much. It seems to have sort of plateaued. Um, and so to your point, there is an element of it where you've just sort of gotten used to it. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, there's that thousand people who die each day and that's kind of how it is. Yeah. I don't know. It's sort of hard to, I mean, it's obviously hard to get your mind around it and without stories of kind of individual loss or kind of stories of people's lives, it is hard to put that into perspective. It's, it's the case in kind of any natural disaster or, you know, mass, massive loss or anything like that. But I do think, I mean, one, another thing to consider is I think at least, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not following all the data, but it seems to me that at least in a number of the hard hit countries in Europe, that the descent, you know, the coming down off the peak has been a little more sustained than it, it, it seems to be in the United States. And even, even versus New York, I mean, it is, I mean, at a certain level, you're talking about well, you were you. It was just so out of control that coming down from that is going to is 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 going to be more stark. But there is this sense, as you say, that are we just kind of becoming used to that that it's just a prevalent disease in the country and it's just going to stay that way and that's kind of okay. Who knows? Yeah. Well, I feel like that's a, a decent place to, to leave things and maybe we can kind of go around and share some silver linings from the week and then call it a day. Cool. Sounds good. Kate, do you want to go first? Sure. Uh, so my silver linings playbook, as DT referred to it <laughs> as, um, is I have never watched Jeopardy before. I don't know. It just hasn't really intersected into my life. But um, we've discovered that Jeopardy is on Hulu and watched about four hours of it last night, and it so like is the whole like thirty years of Jeopardy. They only have certain seasons oh, okay. that are on, um, and we were watching the like the college versions because we started out watching the the best Jeopardy players of all time, and that just like makes you feel horrible about yourself because you're just like getting one answer every you know million rounds. But the college one is a little more approachable, and yeah, it was so fun. Learned a lot. And I'm really glad that Jeopardy has uh, been added to my life. <laughs> That's cool. Maybe some maybe someday we'll see you up at uh, one of those podiums against the who was that computer the that was Oh yeah. <laughs> Wait, what's this? I didn't know. There was that computer, um the I don't know. Watson, like, right? Watson yeah, right. who was like the Jeopardy pro that Oh, they the, had that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I knew that Watson did the uh, the chess stuff, but I didn't, I didn't know that. that yeah, he had gone there's on. a Jeopardy version too. He's a, a Renaissance robot. For yeah, sure. interesting. <laughs> cool. I'll go next. I'll go next. Um, basically, just bike riding has been a nice salve, I guess. And obviously, not a lot of us aren't really taking public transit right now. I don't personally have a car, so our kind of physical proximity has been pretty small lately. Right, just kind of limited to the neighborhood and maybe kind of a mile radius walking distance but getting on a bike both feels good kind of get some some air kind of flowing and then mm -hmm. also kind of widens your i don't know widens your neighborhood a little bit makes you feel a little bit mobile so that's been good i actually read in the times yesterday i think there's like a shortage of bikes it's sort of all these things are kind of drying up or getting snatched up amid the pandemic and a hey, lot of people are having, toilet this, paper. Sit, are having <laughs> the same idea just getting on two wheels so 
Nice. How about you, Josh? Uh, well, I think the uh, my thing is my wife and I. One of the things that that we have done for a few years is like like a lot of couples, we watch uh, you know binge watching TV. You know the kind of the, the what's what's the word for uh, you know TV shows where they release them by season and you kind of watch you know you kind of mm-hmm. go through them in a in a in a couple days and and the. Um, you know, it's not like we don't have access to to uh, Netflix. That's kind of what everybody does. But somehow, just in the process of the lockdown, it kind of disrupted that part of of our joint life. And 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 so we've gotten back to that. And one of the things with uh, the it, it seems like a number of the shows that we were waiting to come back, kind of came back, you know, where they, a new season had come online. Um, so we're back to doing that. And that's, that is, uh, you know, it's, it's a very, it's a very indoor thing to, to say is a, is a silver lining, but it's something yeah. that, that we enjoy. So I will that's count nice. it as such. What's know, your show everyone's... of choice right now? What's that? What's the show of choice right now? Well, okay, so there's we we still have to go through the last episode of Man in the High Tower. Wait, Man in the High Tower, Man mm-hmm. in the High Castle, Man in the High Tower. Is it High Tower? Can't remember. Anyway, whatever, know. whatever. <laughs> All right, and then there's Killing Eve, mm. which is we that's which, a good one, yeah. yeah, which we had seen the first two seasons and we liked that a lot. And then there's this show that I don't know. It may it may become a Josh only show now because when we when we started watching the new season of it. At least on the you know the first twenty minutes of the first episode, Millette was having a hard time getting back into it. It's called The Last Kingdom. Mm. If anybody knows, it, it it's a uh, it's a little hard to explain. It it's based on you know King Alfred is the sort of the the sort of the first king of a semi united England, um, a kind of a key called Alfred the Great. So it's sort of it's it's loosely based on that period. And there's this guy Uhtred who's the kind of the you know the the protagonist of of the series so it's it it kind of plays off that but mixes in you know at a certain level it's sort of medievalish kind of uh soap opera kind of thing um but <laughs> we're into Sounds it and good. that's you know a lot of a lot of uh a lot of battles and 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 you know, battle axes and <laughs> castles good, good and yeah, yeah. stuff yeah. like yeah. that. So those are the, totally. those are the things that are kind of, uh, that have, that have come back in new seasons for, nice. for us. Just a quick, a quick note for our succession fans of which I know you are one Josh and Kate, I don't know if you're on that bandwagon yet, but mm-hmm. apparently you can now get on Spotify or download on Apple, the rap that Kendall Roy oh did for his father, the Logan, the L to the OG rap. So Oh my god! I thought you were going to say there was a new season now, but you know that. No, nothing is, that this, exciting. But this is the thing: there's going to be a real, a real dearth of seasons coming up because no one can do, no one, no one can film anything. Uh, so you know, in like 2021, there's going to be like no new TV. Yeah, like literally know, no sad. new TV. We're um, all going to have to watch a lot of Jeopardy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, or just our other. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of you know, uh, you know, old shows that are around. Although I think as, as we can see the, in the HBO, Netflix prime era, you know, there's a reason they call this the golden age of TV or the second golden age of TV or whatever it is. Cause the shows are, are, you know, the, the, the fringe benefit of mega corporations competing 
to monopolize, you know, to come up with, with, with entertainment monopolies has been that they've shoveled a huge amount of money into TV production. And, and, and the, not only a huge amount of money, but they've given opportunities to a lot of a lot of different kinds of people, but also just a lot of different kinds of shows and more niche shows and all that kind of stuff. So part of the one of the problems is, is if you if you go back to like, oh, I'm gonna, I wonder if if Starsky and Hutch was better than I remember it. Well, <laughs> probably not, right? Because most like '70s and '80s and '90s TV was pretty pretty junky. Some of it's good. But uh, a lot of a lot of it's not good. But yeah, 2021. <laughs> yeah. If you're looking for uh, new binge watching opportunities, uh, it may be rough. It might be tough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So remember, uh, the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. A great, great product. We uh, drink it not just a sponsor. It's really great stuff, and you can order it at Grady'sColdBrew.com and if you're a first-time purchaser, you can get 20% off with the offer code TPM. You can also purchase it at Amazon.com and grocery stores and, and uh, those things we used to call stores uh, in the before <laughs> times. Uh, so yes, you can So go out, Check and, it out. go out and get Grady's. And also remember, small businesses, independent businesses, services. If you are someone who is lucky enough to be relatively financially unscathed by this moment of crisis, try leaning into, again, the local restaurant, the local coffee shop, the local this, the local that, not only because that's just a kind of a good way to be a human and a good way to sort of uh, participate in our society, but also because you want those places to exist when this is all over. And so it's also, it's, it's not just altruism and again, being a good human, it's also looking out for your quality of life and your uh, options and, and all those kind of things when life goes back to something like normal yeah it's a good reminder yeah all right nice to talk to you both later folks all right thanks guys bye